0: Good morning, everybody. Ushers are going to pass the baskets right now. Thank you so much for your intentional giving that keeps this church afloat. We deeply appreciate that. And thanks, little kids, for coming in and Lily and the helpers for bringing them in there. It's fun to see you guys. All right. We are in the middle right now of a three-week series on the topic of community that we're teaching on. Last week, Derek and Joel actually did step one or part one, and I'm doing part two today. And my message is entitled, The God of Us, Nick Nolte, and Ruach. And it'll totally make sense to you. You just got to stay with me. Let's start with The God of Us. I want to read just one verse out of a letter um, to a young faith community in the city of Ephesus a long, long time ago, the book of Ephesians. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So God has made us alive in Christ. He's made us alive with aliveness. We are now connected to God because of Jesus. And this invitation to be connected with God isn't an invitation to join a religion. It isn't an invitation to believe a bunch of religious beliefs. It isn't an invitation to follow all these rules and regulations. It's a true connection, an invitation into relationship. But this invitation is a group invite. It's not a solo invitation. It's not. It's for groups. Now, in the American church for years, we've used language that's contrary to this. When we tell people our testimony, how we met Jesus, we usually start by saying, well, when I was 10 years old, I went to church and I knew Jesus was real, so I prayed this kind of magic prayer and I invited Jesus into my heart to be my personal Lord and Savior. And I get why we use that language, and many of you have used that language. I invited Jesus to be my personal Lord and Savior, but think about it. Personal? Really? Like we all have a corner on the God market, we have our own personal Jesus, we have sole ownership of God's love and grace, that's just not reality. A better way to say that truth when you're sharing your testimony would be, hey, when I was 10 years old, my eyes were open to the reality of Jesus, and I collided into Jesus. And I prayed and I invited him along with many others to be my communal Lord and Savior. Because it's a group thing. You know, years ago I read a book um, by a Catholic priest, a radical guy named Vincent Donovan... And the book's called Christianity Rediscovered. And Vincent Donovan felt the calling from God to go to the nation of Africa, or the continent of Africa, sorry, the continent of Africa and share the good news about Jesus with a particular tribe, the Maasai people. And he went into this one particular village for months on end, and he told them all about Jesus, and he shared the stories, and he read the Bible. And at one point he thought, I need to have them make some sort of response to put their faith into motion, to kind of seal the deal of their newfound relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to invite them to be baptized. So he did it. He invited the village to be baptized, and the chieftain answered him, and he said this, we believe we'll be baptized. And he goes, no, 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 no. It's an individual thing. Each of you has to decide for yourself if you believe, and each of you has to decide for yourself if you want to be baptized. And the chieftain completely, vehemently disagreed and said, why are you trying to rip us apart? Why are you trying to separate us? We believe we'll be baptized. We're doing this as a group. And I remember thinking, I go, oh, that's so unusual. And yet they've got it right. We begin our faith journey with Jesus as a group. We are participating in the God of us. Now put a comma there. I'll come back to it later. (coughs) Excuse me. I don't like the word needy very much. I don't know anybody that likes the word needy. One of the worst insults that you could lob towards me would be to say, oh, that Tim, he is so needy. I will, ooh, what a punch in the stomach that is. But the truth is we are all needy because according to the scripture we just read, we all need Jesus, and that is good to own. That is good to recognize. That's good to believe in your own neediness because I've discovered that neediness has some perks, Okay? Imagine yourself in one or both of these situations. Situation number one something happens to you. You get sick or injured, and you're rushed to the emergency room. And then you go to the emergency room. I don't know if you've ever been rushed to an emergency room, but this is what happened. You rush, and then you wait for a really long time while you're in pain in the emergency room. That's what happens in the emergency room. So you're freaking out, you're injured, you're sick, you're hurting, and then you look around you and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm not alone though. I need medical attention, but so does the other 175 people in this waiting room. That's situation number one. Situation number two, you're in a college class or a high school class. You sign up for it thinking it would be great. And then the professor comes in hands you the syllabus or tells you about what's going to go on in the class that term and you realize in that instant you're in way over your head. This isn't an easy A. This is homework upon homework upon homework about a subject you know nothing about and you're freaking out inside going how am I going to make it through this term in this class and then you look around yourself and you realize the other people in the class are all wide eyed at the same time and they're thinking I can't pass this class. I can't pass this class. Now, in both of those situations, you find yourself in great need, either in your need of medical attention or you're in need of some education and the teacher's help. But you also realize in that moment that the other people in the room are in need also. And something remarkable happens right then. Your shared need creates community. I've experienced it. I've been in both of those situations in my life multiple times, and in both cases, I feel instant community and connection with the other people in that room. Shared need creates community, and that's not just true in a college class. It's not just true in an ER room. It's true in our journey with Jesus. It's true in this church, okay? We all need Jesus, And that common neediness connects us to one another. And we should be so grateful for that connection with those people. Because this faith journey we're on together is a trek into transformation. God is always messing with us. Always. He won't leave us alone. He's like that. A little tweak in your character here, a little tweak in your character there. Following Jesus is a slow trek into transformation, and it's a painful, difficult, slow process of God transforming our characters into his likeness, into being more like Jesus, being more generous, giving, forgiving, loving, compassionate people, okay? That's what happens in our life. We're becoming slowly more like Jesus. Look what Francis LePay says. He's a great author, and I want to put a quote of his up on the screen and read it for us. I also believe that it's almost impossible for people to change alone. We need to join with others who will push us in our thinking and challenge us to do the things we didn't believe ourselves capable of doing. So there you have it. We all need Jesus, and that neediness is a good thing because it connects us to the very people that God is going to use to change us and make us more like Jesus. Did you catch that? We all need Jesus, and that's good, because that neediness connects us to the very people God is going to use in our lives to make us more like Jesus. So that's the first part. I just want to say to you, welcome to the God of us. If you think this is an individual journey, no way. Sure, you'll have some alone time with Jesus, but it's not an individual journey. It's very much a group thing. All right? Sorry, dry throat today. Now, let's talk about Nick Nolte, and it'll come at the end, but let's read first out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, or we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which um, God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, notice the plural words here. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared for us to do the good works that he is mentioning here this is the apostle paul writing again to this church the good works are accomplished in community by community that's what he's talking about here it's a plural thing again see you can go out and do good in the world and please do go out and do good kind loving serving things for people that's wonderful all by your onesie we should all be involved in a behavior like that But we can accomplish so much more together. Let me explain this by using a verse out of the first book in the Bible. This is the book of Genesis. It's a creation poem, verse 26. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. Now notice here, first of all, that God refers to God's self as us and our. Derek mentioned this last week in his part of the message. It's a reference to the mystery of the Trinity, the three in one, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in community, in harmony with one another. And second of all, it says mankind, not man. It says, let us make mankind in our image. Let them rule over creation. This is significant because when we go out into the world and do good, it's always beautiful. It's always important. It's always a good thing to do. But when we go out as a group and do good, something quite powerful happens, and this is what happens People see God. Let me explain why they see God. Because God is community. God is a loving community, a loving relationship between father, son, and Ruach. So when we function as a community, his likeness, his image comes into clear focus for people. You want to know what God looks like? I will tell you. God looks like a group of people loving other people that's what God looks like, okay? We need to know that. But it is not easy to function as a community. It is very, very difficult. Even though it's good and people see God when we function as a community, it is definitely challenging. Let me tell you why. First of all, it's awkward. Again, I'm 56 years old now. And when I was young, there was no cell phones, there was no color television, there was no cable television. In fact, a lot of people didn't even have a television that I knew. So we had to entertain ourselves. I know that's very foreign to any of you under 40. We literally had to make up our own games and stuff, okay? You might have had a checker set in your house if you're rich, okay? The rest of us just made up games. And so we'd have these fairs and festivals and even competitions at churches and schools. And one of the things was a three-legged race. You've probably heard of them. Hardly any of you have done them because they're so awkward. In a three-legged race, (coughs) there's groups of two people and you race each other and you're tied to another person with your leg. On your leg, like you, you'll put like a bungee cord or some duct tape. Duct tape keeps the world together, okay? And, and you're, you're taped to this person, and you're supposed to race. Well, this person might be smaller than you or bigger than you, taller, shorter than you, faster, slower than you, Coordinated not coordinated, okay? And so the whistle blows and you take off racing and you start to run like you would normally run, but they don't run like you run. And so you get all cattywampus and you fall down and and ankles are twisted and, you know, there's abrasions and cuts and cussing and all kinds of stuff. It was great fun, okay? (laughs) Likewise, it is so awkward at times to be a part of a faith community like the one you're sitting in Right now, because you're going to meet lots of other people over the course of your time here, and these people are going to be drastically different than you, different in their lifestyles, different in their beliefs, different in their worldviews, okay? And so, they're so different, yet here you are connected by your love for Jesus, You're brought together. It's like God's duct taping you together with people because of your love for Jesus. That's so wonderful, but it's so incredibly awkward at the same time. And I want to tell you something. You don't have to agree with everybody here, not even me, to be a part of this faith community. Community does not mean conformity. Conformity is when everybody thinks and acts and looks the same. And conformity is just creepy. Remember I showed you this, these people before? These are the Oompa Loompas from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Besides the flying monkeys and the Wizard of Oz, these are the creepiest things I ever saw growing up. And still to this day, I'm not looking right now, because they freak me out, okay? And yet that's the picture of church for so many people, some eccentric pastor in the middle of a bunch of creepy Oompa Loompas, okay? That is not church, okay? We are so diverse here, and that's great. Our diversity is not a weakness. Our diversity is a strength. It's the beauty of community, and yet it's so awkward. Let me explain it like this. This might be a better way to explain it. I am a diehard Oakland, soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders fan, as everyone should be, okay? I'm even wearing their colors today. I just love the Raiders, have since I was a little kid. But just because I'm part of Raider Nation and I'm a diehard Raider fan does not mean I'm just like all the other Raider fans in the world. Look at this guy. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that he and I aren't exactly the same. I'm, I, I know I'm judging him just by looks, but just first glance, just like first glance. In a, in a blink of an eye, I'm looking at him and going, yeah, we're different, okay? He probably thinks it's fine to yell obscenities at the referees. He thinks it's probably great to dump his beer on opposing players. He might even think it's A-OK to get a voodoo doll and try to put a curse on the opposing quarterback, okay? Chances are me and this gentleman here... Gentlemen, <laughs> that's a stretch of that word, but okay. Um, we are vastly different human beings. And yet, I look at him, I kid you not, and I go, oh yeah, he's my people. <laughs> I know that's hard for you to believe, but I instantly look at him, and I like him. I'm going, oh yeah, dude, I'd love to watch a game with that guy. I hope when I go someday, I sit right next to him. It'd be great, because we're connected by our love for all things Raiders. Look, we are attempting a miracle here at Fifth Avenue Church. It's nothing short of a miracle. We are attempting to function in unity despite our diversity. We are connected by our curiosity about Jesus and our love for Jesus. We're not separated by our differences. In order for that to happen, hear me well here, we have to all have our priorities right. We have to prioritize the joy that is community over the annoy the annoyance of knowing we're in community with people that are vastly different than us, okay? That's the first reason community is difficult. The second reason it's so difficult and challenging is this. Community requires, it it insists on forgiveness. Forgiveness is super hard. One of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life. If forgiveness isn't hard for you, you're probably doing it wrong. Denial, that's easy. Oh, that person didn't hurt me. Oh, it was no big deal. Don't worry about it. Denial like that, super easy. We can all do that. Forgiveness, not so much. Forgiveness is allowing yourself to feel the pain and heartache and heartbreak that another person bestows on you. You let it hurt you for a while, but then you make a conscious decision to let that pain stop with you. No paybacks, no revenge, no Schadenfreude, which is this act of secretly hoping that the person that hurt you will go through horrible things in their life and you'll get to rejoice about that. We do that all the time, don't we? Look, that dude that just flipped me off driving got pulled over by the police. woo Okay, that's Schadenfreude. None of that. That's not a part of forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard. It's saying the pain stops with me, and I'm not wishing pain on the person that hurt me. This is one of my favorite quotes. I've used it often because I want us to remember this, okay? This is the truth of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a form of suffering. It's like a death, but it's a death that leads to resurrection. When you're forgiving someone, you feel like you're dying, but then you're ushered into a brand new kind of life on the other side of forgiveness. It's so great. Being in community means we are going to be in close proximity to other humans. None of you the spawn of aliens. You're all human beings in here. And because you're human beings, it means you're flawed, you're pain-filled, you're baggage-bearing humans just like the rest of us in this room. We are going to hurt and disappoint one another. The holiest person in this room, which I don't know, who that is. Maybe my wife. I don't know. She's up there. Um, There's some others that um, that are way ahead of me, okay? But the holiest person in this room is going to hurt one of you sometime this year. It's not if, it's when. That's just the nature of community, okay? I want to put up one of my also favorite quotes, which I've used often in sermons, because I want you to remember this. Look what it says. This is what a pastor tells everybody that comes to her church, she tells them ahead of time, this community will disappoint you. It's a matter of when, not if. We will let you down, or I, as the pastor, will say something stupid that hurts your feelings. I totally will do that, by the way, okay? But stick around after the inevitable disappointment. See how the grace of God can come in and fill the holes left by our community's failures, Because that's just too beautiful and real to miss. She is so right. That's so true. We're going to disappoint and hurt each other. It's true. So we better hone our forgiveness skills. We better become like Jedi black belt level forgivers, okay? Because we're going to hurt each other. But when we choose to forgive one another, at that moment, God's grace comes in and fills the holes left by our own personal failures. Oh, that's difficult but beautiful. Third reason that community is difficult is because it involves crossing lines. The church historically, sadly, actually, is not famous for crossing lines. The church historically is famous for drawing lines, lines in the sand that usually center around beliefs. Groups of people get together and they say, well, this is our church and we're going to draw a line in the sand. This is what we believe. This is what we believe about the Bible. This is what we believe about speaking in tongues. This is what we believe about creation. This is what we believe about the age of the earth. This is what we believe about other religions. On and on and on, so many lines. And these lines separate us from other people. Well, we believe this, but there are people on the other side of the line. They're wrongsiders. They're the others. They believe the wrong things. We, on this side of the line, we're the good people with the good beliefs. And by the way, God is on our side of the line. God isn't over there on the other side of the line. So you'll be okay as long as you stay on this side of the line. Sit. Stay. Good Christian, <laughs> okay? That's kind of what goes on all throughout history, all right? True community means you instantly realize that lines are too constricting, kind of like underwear that's too tight and it doesn't fit. So you make a decision to start crossing the line. I'm not just going to stay on here. This space is too small. I'm going to cross the line. I'm going to get over here, and I'm actually going to be friends with these other people. And I'm no longer going to call them wrongsiders. I'm no longer going to label them evil and demonize them. They're not Satan's little minions. They're actually my friends. And we do this. We label them as friends and we cross that line because humility tells us we might not be right. Maybe our beliefs aren't right. And love tells us even if we are right, that person's more important than me being right. Okay? I hope you can hear that. Dorothy Day, another great author, said this. Look what she said. Oh my gosh, let this just soak in. I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Think about that. I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. So when we draw a line in the sand and we're separating ourselves from people, we're saying, I don't really love those people enough to cross this line. And what are you doing there? You're limiting the amount of love you can experience from God when you do that lines create distance, distance from other people and even distance from God. So all this to say community is hard, but it's doable. And this is where Nick Nolte comes into play, okay? If you don't know who Nick Nolte is, he's an actor, Google it. He is not a handsome man, I'm just going to tell you that right now. When I see Nick Nolte, I don't go, whoa, what a looker. I want to like, copy his look, okay? I'm not trying to knock him. He's created by God in the image of God. I'm sure he's a wonderful person, but at any rate. <laughs> but Nick Nolte, not too long ago, got named the sexiest man alive. And I read that and I went, Oh, if that's possible, then anything is possible in this world. If Nick Nolte can get named People Magazine's sexiest man alive, then anything's possible, even functioning in community. Can you believe I'm bringing this into a sermon? Seriously, as hard as being in community as it's possible because God is at work doing this in our midst. If Nick Nolte can be the sexiest man alive, we can function in unity despite our diversity. And lastly, let's take a look at the word ruach. This is out of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18. For who, through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. When we hear that word Spirit here, we think a lot of things, but most people when they hear the word Spirit, they think of something that's actually not real. They think of something an, an out-of-body presence like a ghost that haunts someone's house. It's fun to think about, but it's not real. This word here actually means something real, not just real, really real. There are two words in all of the Bible that are used for the word spirit. In the New Testament, in the newer portion of the Bible, the word is pneuma, which means wind or breath or air, which makes sense because God's spirit is the breath of life. He's like a mighty rushing wind that blows through our lives. In the older part of the Bible, the Old Testament that's written in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. Now, you have to understand something. Ancient Hebrews believed that everything in creation came into existence because of this explosive creative energy. That's how everything came into existence. And that same energy that created all things now holds all things together. And their name for this creative explosive energy that created all things and holds all things together is the word ruach. That's the word, spirit. That's why we have this verse out of the book of Colossians that's a reference to Ruach. For in him all things were created. There's that explosive creative energy. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rules or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And now check out the next verse. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Ruach holds all things together, all things. That means us, not just our lives. It means our corporate and communal lives together. Ruach is this amazing adhesive power that holds us together in community and keeps us from splintering and fracturing off and experiencing isolation into our life. That's the power of Ruach. Now, Ephesians 2 which we've been reading here, this ancient letter that Paul's the author of, he was actually trying to encourage this really young church. And he was saying, listen, if you read the book as a whole, which is a letter in its whole, he's saying, listen, you used to be far away used to be far away from one another and far away from God, but now you've been brought near. And don't worry, because the power of Ruach, the power of the Spirit, will hold you together in this faith community. Ah, it's so amazing. You know, it's interesting to me, so many, I read so many books, and so many people describe these amazing kind of mystical experiences with God, holy moments, glimmerings, whatever you want to call them, where they are aware of God in a special and unique way. William James wrote a book about these experiences, and he interviewed people, and he found out they had two factors in common, illumination and union. Illumination in that when they try to recount these experiences with other people, they always mention light and brightness and radiance, which makes sense because Jesus is called the light of the world. That makes sense to me. But he also mentioned they have another factor in common, union. Whenever they had these holy moments with God, they said they also, every single one of them, experienced this connection with people. They felt closer and more grateful for the people around them. Illumination and union. That describes the work of Ruach in the world. Ruach, who is birthing community in our midst. I'll end with this. Most of us are very familiar with the first line of the Bible. Even people that don't go to church, never been to church, are familiar with it. In the beginning, God created. Most of us know that line from the book of Genesis. But in Hebrew, the language that it was written in, it's a little different. The words are Barashit, Barah, Elohim, Et. That's the words in Hebrew. And it's interesting because of that tiny word, Et. Et is a word that connects a subject. To an object. That's what the word et is. So you could say that the the beginning of the Bible starts like this: in the beginning, God created et. Or more accurately, in the beginning, God created connection. That's how the Bible starts. How cool is that? So connection and community are what's been God's agenda for mankind since the inception of time since the inception of time. So when we choose to make this awkward and difficult journey into functioning as a community, no matter how hard it is, we are participating in God's dreams for humanity. Isn't that cool? I want to pray for us now, and then after we pray, um, I have a special gift for you. You're going to hear a special song that's all about community, actually. So why don't you bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Let me pray for us, and musicians, if you can make your way up here. God, we're asking for a miracle today. We're asking that you would continue to connect us to one another, to fuse us together in true community. It won't be easy, Lord, but it's your dream for us, and it's our dream for us too, Lord. So please use our unity to unite us, Lord. Empower us to forgive, embolden us to cross lines, and hold us together when we're tempted to splinter. And fall apart, Lord. Use the adhesive power of your spirit of Ruach, Lord, to form and continue community. In the name of our communal Lord Jesus, we pray today. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right, enjoy this little gift. to the table from here and far come from the shore. the p to If, uh, if you'd like to pray with anyone today, uh, you're welcome to come up. Jimmy's obviously here to pray, or we can meet with you. Otherwise, have a wonderful Sunday. God bless. Thanks for being part of our community.